0: It was a rerunning of the 1970s uh, TV series. It was called Roots. It told the original story of Kunta Kinte, who was taken in slavery in 1750 from Gambia. Uh, it was written by a great 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 grandson of him, uh, a man by the name of Alex Haley. Alex Haley concluded the story with his great grandfather Tom Murray. It portrayed the horror, really, uh, of the slave trade. It portrayed the the horror of what humanity is able to do to humanity. Uh, And it really picked up on the issue uh, of the heritage that ran through that family of trial and suffering and difficulty it highlighted that they were seemingly born into this constant pattern of tragedy and horror and pain. At the other end of the spectrum, another American character born in 1905 was Howard Hughes. Howard Hughes couldn't have been born into a different situation. There was nothing that could be further away from the Uh, family of Alex Haley. His father had worked out a new way of um, drilling for oil, and he was a multi-billionaire. His father died when he was 18, and Howard Hughes went on to carve out for himself uh, a, a, a heritage, really, in the movies and aviation. The flip side of it was that by 1976, when he died, he had become a a bizarre, uh, mentally ill recluse. It was reported that at the final uh, end of his life, he died on a flight, taking him from Acapulco to a hospital in Houston. He had become addicted to coding uh, and x-rays taken uh, following his death showed fragments of hypodermic needles broken off in his arms. The contrast is incredible. On one side, we have one perspective which is terribly broken with no real hope. And on the other side, we have what seems like every opportunity for the very best. And yet, it becomes profoundly broken. I guess no matter what our background, no matter what our experience, no matter what our ancestry, there are aspects of our human uh, experience which are consistent. We are held captive, every one of us, by our humanity, the fact that we are who we are. In the very best or the very worst of circumstances, we carry a heritage a heritage which we would suggest is is captured with three perspectives. A perspective of suffering, a perspective of guilt, and that constant shadow of death. Standing above Rio de Janeiro, and it, it was all over the TV last year, wasn't it? It's the enormous statue of Christ the Redeemer. I don't think we make enough of that word redeem. But it is an amazing word. It, we maybe just need to pause and say, well, what does redeem mean? Two uh, definitions, both which speak into our, uh, our enjoyment of today. To redeem is to compensate for the faults fault or bad aspects of something or someone. To redeem is to gain or regain possession of something in exchange for payment. Standing above Rio is a constant reminder that Jesus is our Redeemer. And a Redeemer from what? From suffering, from guilt, and from death. Suffering. We, We can't get away from it, can we? We might hide away from it, turn off the TV news. Uh, I sometimes think we are just so flooded now with TV news that, that we end up in a place which historically we've never been in before, almost an overwhelming perspective of the tragedy and suffering of this world. It seems rather ironic, doesn't it? that in the age of information, we can actually become even more conscious of our condition. We can go out and we might fill our weekends with activity or alcohol or worse. We might try to hide from suffering in that way. We might, on the other hand, do something really productive. We might be very active. But suffering comes with our birth. George Orwell said, most people get a fair amount of fun out of their lives, but on balance life is suffering, and only the very young or the very foolish imagine otherwise. I think that might have been, no, I won't speculate which book it was, but it's fairly poignant, isn't it? Benjamin Disraeli said, even more powerfully, it is the lot of man to suffer it's where we are. That might seem very sad. In fact, each one of these feel very broken, Um, but today is Good Friday. We look at guilt. Guilt sits, perhaps, for some of us quietly dormant and then rears its head and bites us viciously. Maybe something we've said or done, why does it keep grabbing a hold of us? Why does it continue to speak to us again and again? It doesn't go away, even when the situation or the person has gone away. It doesn't go away. I wonder why that is. Is it because maybe we have that inner sense that our guilt is somehow timeless, that our guilt is somehow in the face of something other than the person against whom we are guilty. Guilt against someone who has died many years ago, maybe. There's no reason in logical terms to feel guilty, and yet we do. David said, my sin is ever before me. David said in the same psalm, it is against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. William Shakespeare in Henry Sixth captured it in this way. He said, Suspicion always haunts the guilty mind. The thief doth fear each bush and officer. It's, it's the irrationality of guilt, and yet the power of guilt, which is incredible. Death. Live life and avoid death, I think, is one of the mantras against which we live today. Everywhere we have ideas of how we can live longer, better, healthier, Uh, a constant desire to hold back that day. I guess on the flip side, the other way to deal with death is to live fast and die young. Both of those responses remind us that we are in one way or another acting or behaving in a way which recognizes that we are, each one of us, destined to die. The great gift of life carries the unavoidable sting of death. The great gift of life carries the unavoidable sting of death. We spend our lives with that shadow casting over our existence. We don't know when it might be. But we know it will be. Maurice Maeterlinck, the poet, said this All our knowledge merely helps us to die a more painful death than the animals that know nothing. <laughs> I thought that was just, he wrote it in the 19th century, and yet it seems so powerful. What was it 20th century? It seems so powerful for today. The more we know, the more aware we are of the pain of death. Thomas Fuller said, we are born crying, live complaining, and die disappointed. (laughs) This is a good morning. (laughs) Suffering, guilt, and death. If we don't look into the eyes of those three issues, if we don't stare them in the face and come to terms with them in our deepest consciousness, we will never gain the value of the good news of today. We will never see it. If we constantly hide from those three things, pretend that they don't happen, metaphorically wrap our life up in cotton wool so that we are in some way impervious to all the nasty things. We will never understand the true majesty, the true beauty that Jesus Christ is our Redeemer. Peter says it like this, for you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed. Do you remember one of the definitions of being, uh, of of to redeem is to gain or regain possession in exchange for payment? It's not with silver or gold that you were, were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers. You see that? Whether it's Roots or whether it's Howard Hughes, we are handed down this experience. And it's not with silver or gold that we have been redeemed, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. That verse captures today, doesn't it? But if we've looked into the eyes of those three perspectives suffering, guilt, and death, I think we also need to look into the eyes of why today is good in those very experiences. How does the death of Jesus redeem us from those three perspectives? The first, I think, well, as an overarching really, is the fact that today this day when we remember the death of Jesus Christ, captures in one person those three perspectives, grabs a hold of those three perspectives, and and all of those those challenges and difficulties that we live with are, if you like, uh, like a magnifying glass which takes the rays of the sun and centers them down into one place. They are all centered down, into this one event of Jesus. Suffering is at the very center of today, isn't it? We've spoken on many occasions about the, the power of Mel Gibson's passion of the Christ, and there is one sense in which we, we want to say it doesn't really deal with the, uh, the issues, the true issues of today. That's true but it really does deal with the issue of suffering. It really does. It would be no good for us to look at suffering in our lives and then think that in some way God was not aware of our suffering. He placed Himself in our very existence. Even before the horror of crucifixion, We know that Jesus was taken by Pilate after releasing Barabbas, and he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. That was a very unusual perspective. What happened then, rather a very unusual event, in judicial terms that would not normally happen. Somebody would be flogged as a punishment, or they would be crucified as a punishment. And yet, Jesus endured both. Jesus was flogged. He bore the very experiences of suffering. I remember in the 1970s, watching roots, and as a younger guy, younger lad, I I remember being shocked at the idea of suffering. I guess to some extent I'd been kind of hidden from it. I hadn't really seen it in life and yet there on the screen was the horror of physical abuse. And yet Jesus knows that. Jesus has that centered in on Him. He becomes the one who bore our suffering. He becomes the one who has experienced it. And on the one hand, we might say, well, Mel Gibson's uh, passion doesn't really capture the true essence of what goes on today, and we would say yes in one sense. But guilt is precisely where we see the issue. Luke chapter 23, verse 13 and 15 13 to 15, Pilate called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people, and he said to them, you brought me this man as one who has incited the people to rebellion. I have examined him in your presence and have found no basis for your charges against him. Neither has Herod. Do you know, it took me, it took me I don't know how long to twig onto that neither has Herod found him guilty. I don't know whether I'm thick, but I've spent years imagining that there was the idea that Herod found him guilty and Pilate found him innocent. And there the Bible says, Pilate found him innocent and Herod found him innocent. Herod, neither has Herod, for he sent him back to us. In other words, he was saying, Herod had the right and the power to pronounce guilt, but he couldn't pronounce death. But he couldn't find guilt, and so he passed him back to Pilate because he wanted him to be found guilty for death. Between the two of them, there's a verse later on that says that in that moment, in that experience, Pilate and Herod became friends. And they had never been friends before. They had been enemies. Isn't that amazing? I think the Bible records that for a very important reason. That both of them found him innocent, and yet both of them were determined for him to be considered guilty. It's as though the the pagan and the Jewish world, which was the way the world was divided up in those days, one or the other, That together they were joined in the determination that Jesus was guilty. In fact, we stand together as brothers in arms, friends together, pronouncing Jesus guilty. (laughs) But we know that ultimately he was determined to be considered guilty, not by Pirate and Herod alone but by His Father in heaven. And that can never be captured in film. It can never be captured. The only way that we can capture that is by sitting and considering the truth of the Bible, empowered by the Spirit, before the face of God, saying, show me what really happened. Before the face of God, we see that it is God who was pleased to bruise him. (laughs) Guilt is at the center of today. Suffering, guilt, and then death. Death is really obvious today, isn't it? We can't get away from the idea of death on Good Friday. We were very aware of that, but let's just pause for a moment and just we hear very often about kind of deathbed scenes. This was no bad, but let's just ponder on that scene. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when He had said this, He breathed His last I think that's a wonderful moment where we see the idea of Jesus uniting Himself in eternal perspective with His Father in heaven. Mark says, uh, he said, it is finished. (laughs) Both together, there is a unity there, the work is done, the job has been completed. I give myself to you, it is finished, I am reunited with you, suffering, guilt and death, focused in on one character in history, on one day, and yet at the same time, they are our very hope It is because of Jesus that we are able to say, let me be in you so that I become what you are and you become what I am. In your glory, let me become glorified. In your suffering, let me live the guilt and the suffering and the death which actually I deserve. It's really hard, isn't it? I don't want to just uh, think about Easter in kind of discreet days. We've just listened or sung to a, a great song, which doesn't leave us today, but looks forward to Sunday. And Corinthians 15:51 says this: "Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will be changed." in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable. What we are perishing away needs to become something that isn't fading away anymore and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. You see what Paul is saying? He's saying when the mortal body and the physically decaying body are replaced with a new, non-decaying, non-dying body, then we will say, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? See, actually those three things, suffering, guilt, and death, are not uh, a kind of trinity of horror. Two of them happen because they're pointing to the final one. We suffer and we are guilty because one day we will die. And yet, in Jesus, we are able to say, "Death has been swallowed up in victory." Oh, where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? Because what we actually become. And what we actually gain is a new inheritance. That's what we get. It is a new inheritance. What we had before is wiped away and we are born into a new family, a new heritage, something that will last eternally. Where every tear is wiped away, where every stain has gone, where every blemish is removed, and where we will enjoy life together with Jesus for eternity. It is such a good day. It is a good day. In and of itself, it's a bad day, but it's good because we can see where it goes to.